Welcome to the Go Podcast. Go aspires to engage the local church in global missions. We seek to share mission stories that encourage, edify, and equip other Christians in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ at home and abroad. This podcast is a part of Liberty Bible Church Global Ministry. Your hosts for Go are Cami Sattner, a missions partner with Liberty, and joining her is Kevin Cram, pastor of global engagement at Liberty Bible Church. Welcome back to Go. Over the past several weeks, we have been sharing your stories and testimonies that have illuminated various aspects of the missionary life. We looked at the ways God calls and prepares those he sends into the mission field, as well as the loved ones who stay behind in support. This week, we come to the nitty and gritty of missionary service. After all of the preparation, what goes into a cross-cultural worker? Today, we'll look into this unique brand of ministry. Kevin. Who do we have here today? Well, today we have the honor of talking to Tom McLennan. Tom is a longtime cross-cultural missionary with the organization Entrust. Um, For over six and a half years, he served in outreach and evangelism in Russia. And most recently, he has worked in training and resourcing based here in the United States. And he brings a wealth of experience in cross-cultural ministry to the table. Thanks for being with us today, uh, Tom. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Tom, can you share us a little bit about your backstory? Um, How did you end up serving overseas, and what exactly did you do um, in your time in the the field? It could be a long story. I'll make it short. The Lord uh, called me to serve as a Christian education pastor, and I did that in four different churches over 26 years. Uh, And during that time, I had an opportunity to participate in an overseas cross-cultural ministry And I participated in three short-term trips to Russia with the commission in the early 90s. Uh, That was soon after the wall fell. So it was still very uncertain what was going to happen in the country there. It touched me very deeply. Uh, Those experiences are where I saw what God was doing and, and the deep spiritual hunger and desperation of the people. And, uh, At that time, our our children were still in school, and we weren't sure how to respond to all that. So I continued serving as a Christian ed pastor. And then six years after those experiences, our kids were in Christian colleges. That freed my wife and I up, and I felt God nudging us to serve as missionaries. So we realized that all of the years we had spent in ministry, God had been preparing us for that transition. Um, my desire was to return to Russia. Uh, So we joined an organization, um, it was called BEE at the time, Biblical Education by Extension International. That long name was shortened up to Entrust, based on 2 Timothy 2.2. But we joined that mission in January uh, 2002. And we were in Russia by August, fully supported. Wow and in language school there. Um, The main focus of our ministry was uh, is focused primarily on training pastors and church leaders around the world in limited and restricted access countries because they have such uh, a little bit of training, uh, some only a few months, and then they're trying to train others. And so we go to those countries and provide additional training and equip the trainers to be more effective. 
So what makes cross-cultural ministry so unique? What is it about crossing those cultural boundaries that makes ministering the gospel a little bit more challenging? Well, the, the first part of your question, Cami, is very important because cross-cultural ministry is much more than just simply going. Right. It's a willingness to let go of all of your own cultural baggage, a lot of which you don't even know you have so that you can serve the Lord Jesus Christ more effectively, not as an American Christian, but as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And that means you have to go as a learner. Uh, you need to learn everything you can about the culture, the people, their history, the way they think, all of those things, because you will need to adapt into that culture and connect God's truth in that context. Uh, you have to be very careful never to assume that you become an expert in their culture or their language because you aren't. Uh, so you want to remain in that servant attitude the whole time. Uh, most cultural differences that you'll face are not about uh, moral or ethical issues. The majority of them are, just mean that they're doing things different. They think different. They're, they're different. And different does not mean wrong. Yeah, it's funny. When I think of cultural differences, I think of like operating systems for a computer. I remember about five years ago, I made the inglorious switch from a PC to a, to a Mac. And, there were, and this is such a trivial example, but it took a long time to know just the way that a Mac just did things differently. And all the shortcut keys and all the things that you did to make the th machine go was a completely like, like learning a different language in a sense. And I always just get, have that picture in mind when we're thinking about a culture. This is like a people's operating system. Mm -hmm. At the very base level below this, you know, much deeper below the surface, that actually determines how they see the world, the values that they have. It's not just like the idiosyncrasies of like, you know, what utensils do you use when you eat and what's your food like? Like it goes so much deeper than that. And that's where it becomes so hard when you're trying to communicate the gospel because it's the gospel that reaches those inner parts. So a little bit yeah. about that, like tell us a little bit about, you know, missionaries talk about this idea of contextualization. What does that word mean? Um, and what does that process actually look like for a missionary? Okay. Well, Although we served in Russia for six and a half years, um, I actually participated in the Southeast Asia team after returning from Russia. And that culture is much more challenging. <laughs> and so let's talk about it in that context. Uh, missionaries have been in Southeast Asia for centuries, literally. But there's very little fruit of their efforts. There's somewhere around 1% of the population of six billion people or whatever it is. It's a, it's a huge amount of people there. One, out of, one of, out of every six people in the world live in the Southeast Asia in that combined area. And so you, you go there and you look around and realize something isn't connecting if missions haven't made a difference here. Um, their history, the way they think, the way they process information is very different than Western-oriented missionaries. And that's the majority that have been going to those countries. The culture is very religious. 
uh, you go there and you're overwhelmed at the amount of shrines and temples and and uh, the idols that are represented everywhere and, and altars to demons. And they're everywhere. And so the message of the gospel faces overwhelming odds in that kind of a mm-hmm. context. And so how do you break into it? And here, here's something that is it's hard to say it because uh, a lot of people don't quite understand what we mean by it. But contextualization is a lot more than merely translating materials from the West into a local language. Right. Because in the truest sense, contextualization requires material that reflects how the people think. And it uses colloquial imagery and illustrations and stories from their culture. And when that's not there and it's from another culture, it's really not connecting. Mm. You have an audience because Westerners in that land uh, are something to go see and to hear, and you get some prestige from just being in an audience where you've got a Western speaker. But it's not really that meaningful from them for them. Um, It's a hard path for a lot of missions because we have talked with many agencies, other mission agencies, and they recognize the problem. But for most of them, it is too much to overcome. They, they don't have the time and the resource to address it in that way. So the simplest thing to do is translate your materials and take them to that land and pray that somehow God will connect it to their hearts. Mm. Um, and the same is true when you're doing teaching and, and reaching, if you will. Uh, you have to be in their language the way they think. Right. And it's very different than your own. We interviewed over 80 pastors personally, and had a, many of them had attended conferences and seminars that were sponsored by churches and Christian churches and missions, primarily from the West. What we found out is the notebook they get and the resources stay on a shelf. Right. They don't use it in their church because it doesn't connect to their people. That's rather sad when you think of all that goes into it and the people that are donating and praying for that, and then it goes there and doesn't go anywhere because it's not contextualized to the people. Yeah, a classic example that I've always learned, you know, taking cross-cultural training and classes is, you know, missionaries to to sub-Saharan Africa in the 19th century that would come with the European-based liturgy, you know, the, the songs and the music and the hymns, and they'd a lot of times they wouldn't even translate into the local language. They would just plop the service right into a African context and almost arrogantly think, well, this is the way that you do church and we expect you to adapt to this particular form because it's the way that you're supposed to do it. Yeah. That, and that's and- an extreme example, but um, I think it, and, and we've come a long way since that point, but I think even still today, there's just this mentality of like, well, this is the way that it's supposed to be done, or this is the way that you're supposed to think. And that's the way in Southeast Asia it is, because you had the British came in mm-hmm. for many years. And so the churches reflect that Western pattern in much of what they do, even though it doesn't connect with the people. Right. Uh, when you get out to villages and see what's happening in the villages, that's very different. What we're actually doing there is training their key leaders how to write their own contextualized materials for their people. 
and is happening through the Bible colleges and seminaries. We're training the professors how to analyze their own culture because a fish in water doesn't know how to describe the water. They don't know how to describe their own culture. Sure. So we teach them how to analyze their culture so that they can start connecting instead of Western materials equipping their people. They're writing their own resources so that it's connecting to the heart of the people and they're actually using it in ministry. Tom, I kind of want to circle back to you incarnating into the Russian perspective. So what were some of the challenges and obstacles you faced in communicating the gospel into that culture? Well, first one is language. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Although I learned to speak Russian, it was not great. So whenever (laughs) I uh, would teach or interact on on an official capacity, I always had a Christian translator with me uh, because I learned that when you're trying to communicate, even with the the best intentions, your poor pronunciation and mixed up grammar become the focus of the people rather than the message you're trying to convey. And I did not want that getting in the way. It's a little more cumbersome to go through a translator. But you learn to do it well, you get a good translator, and it can flow rather smoothly, and it's much more effective. Um, It's interesting, too, that... uh, we were, we were English speakers, obviously, native English speakers, which made us somewhat a, of uh, people of interest there in Russia because they teach English in their schools. Uh, but many of the English teachers have never met a native English speaker. So we actually got into some of the schools. I spoke in universities and uh, people that had been studying English. And it was very interesting. But here's what God also did. We were invited to join a secular English club made up mostly of Russian professionals. Uh, There would be, oh, 10 to 15 people there every week. And we had multiple opportunities to share our faith with those people and to help them understand a a different part of the world as well. that was one thing God did. Another is that the pastors of the Russian church that we were attending, it was a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, they came to us and said, uh, Tom, would you consider you and your wife leading an English-speaking Bible study? We don't know who will come. Oh, we agreed to it. And what God did is that we had 15 to 25 international university students every week in our apartment primarily from Nigeria, Kenya, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and some from India, all speaking various dialects of English. And I say <laughs> dialects because some of it you could kind of recognize, but it took us a while to be able to understand all of it. But bringing all those people together, one of the things they told us when we left is said, we came here not knowing each other, from, and we're from different tribes in Africa and stuff. We, we didn't trust each other. And you've taught us what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm. That was a joy. Mm. And we were with that group for about two and a half years. And most of them were studying to be doctors. And, uh, and some of them are serving in that way as Christians in their own country. They have learned how to do inductive Bible study, and they're doing it there. Yeah, so you touched on a little bit in just in that example. But in my experience... Um, 
being the outsider cuts both ways. Like you, you have a lot of limitations that you mm-hmm. have coming in being the foreigner, so to speak. And, uh, obviously language being a, a huge challenging, um, obstacle to overcome. And there are others, uh, but I actually found that there were there were significant advantages to being the outsider, you know, that you were coming in and you had a perspective into that culture that they didn't necessarily have. You could see blind spots in the culture that the people that were in it couldn't see. That's right. And so tell us a little bit about that. What are some of the advantages that you saw kind of being the outsider? Well, one is that, that we were attending a, a a language school that was founded by New Tribes Mission. It was for training Western missionaries in the culture as well as the language. And our culture study was never-ending. It was much more intense, in a sense, than the language study. Language is difficult. I would not recommend anybody who's 55 years of age starting to learn Russian. (laughs) Uh, It was tough. But uh, when when you start analyzing the culture, and we had... Um, 95 different topics within culture that we had to do. And we were told, take pictures, lo- you know, catalog them on your computer, uh, make a reference dictionary, if you will, for uh, the culture so that you can refer to it and start learning from it and analyzing it. That's hard. But we learned some things and we validated it when we talked to the people and they said, golly, we've never thought of that before, but you're right. You know, and they, they we'd yeah. talk about aspects of their culture that they're, they're just so used to it and embedded in it, they don't recognize it. So as an outsider coming in with new eyes, now you have to come as a learner. You don't want to go in with the idea that you're going to change the culture and make it more efficient or effective. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you, you go in as a learner and you want to find the best ways to communicate within that culture, not change it. What are some, you know, just forms of encouragement or advice you would give to someone who's considering going into cross-cultural ministry? Okay, the first is I would say be aware that no matter what your educational preparation, you have to go as a learner and a servant. That has to be at the base of it. Leave your cultural rights as an American here in America. And remember that you're called to be an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that you're serving. And he will be faithful when you struggle. He will sustain you when you're tested. And he'll give you strength to help you stand firm whenever you face obstacles or resistance in, in the culture, whatever you encounter. Remember that, as well, this is a second point, you're on display 24-7 as exhibit number one of the gospel that you're proclaiming. And if they don't see it in you, your message is dead. So you have to live with integrity and with an attitude of being a servant of Christ, and you will be noticed. People are watching. That's good. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Tom. We really appreciate you sharing a little bit about your experience and insight with us on this topic. Thank you very much. So before we wrap up our episode, we want to end like we normally do with a note of personal reflection. So we um, like to end each week with a question. And so, Cammie, we, I want to just hear from you. How are you going to lean into prayer this week as a result of our conversation? I think, oh, I think 
It's really important for me just to follow through with his advice because even though I'm not currently serving in the missionary field, it applies with my job currently. I work with the general public all day, every day, and I really try to let my light shine because I want them to know that I am different. So even if I'm not actively proclaiming Christ, I should still be living that way. But I think it's really hard to do something if I don't do it well. And so sometimes that prohibits me having that servant's heart or, or being willing to jump in and serve somewhere. How yeah. So um, we entitled this episode Cross-Cultural Servanthood, and I actually got that title from a book um, by a missiologist named Dwayne Elmer. And uh, this book is like the one title that I recommend if I ever talk to someone that's thinking about being a missionary. I was like, if you have one book to read, read this book. Um, and he has a quote in there. He says, among the hardest tasks in life is to divest ourselves from the culture we wear so comfortably. Mm. He said, it's like an, being an actor in a play. Your past life is the play you know so well. Everything comes naturally. But all of a sudden, you find yourself in another play where all the actors but you know their characters, lines, and props. And you have to learn the new play. It feels unnatural, awkward, and even embarrassing. And then he spends the whole book talking about he doesn't talk about you know missions theory or or contextualization. The entire book is all about how do we put on Christ-like humility so that we can go through that process where essentially we die to our past, we die to ourselves, and we become, um, in a sense, new people birthed into this new culture. And uh, I know being having been a missionary, uh, going through that process, it is so transformative personally. Um, and uh, really, you cannot explain it unless you've experienced it and been through it. Um, it's heart-wrenching, and it's difficult, and you really do die to yourself. Um, but it is a beautiful, beautiful calling because you, in a sense, get a picture of um, the incarnation and the gospel in a way that many people don't always get. And so I love talking about this topic, <laughs> and I love being able to give people a little bit of a window because um, a lot of people who want to be missionaries go in with rose-colored glasses. And, it's um, a messy masterpiece. It's, it's a messy, it, like you said, it is, um, but it is a beautiful, beautiful journey, um, and it's probably one of the most Christ-like journeys you can take. Um, and so I'm glad that, that Tom came here because we wanted to give a little bit of like someone who's been through that experience to give us a little bit of window in that. So I really appreciate him coming. Thank you for tuning in and listening. We aspire to give you real life stories and experiences to help you in your current phase of life. Next week, tune in to discover some of the unique challenges of raising a family in the mission field. And remember to go and make your life a mission.